Here we are on a Wednesday, back at it, as usual, 7 to 10 a.m., Monday through Friday. We barely get here. Ed, Tyler, Jared, <laughs> and Tyler came in today with a soda as big as this studio. I don't know how you do it, man. I don't know how you do it. What do you mean? I just don't know how you do it this early in the morning. I got to give you credit. Is what? that regular or diet? Regular. Diet Diet Coke or whatever is the grossest thing on the oh, face of no. the earth. Oh, no. Diet Pepsi. Diet Pepsi Cherry. Oh, Diet okay. Pepsi Cherry. Do you know what Diet Coke tastes like? Flat Dr. Pepper. No, you're wrong. Diet Pepsi Cherry is beautiful. It's a beautiful drink. I haven't had it in a long time. But... If you're going to drink Diet Soda, just don't drink soda. That, that is a, that, no, that's a fair no. assessment. Not someone who drinks drink Diet some Soda. orange juice. <laughs> orange juice is yeah. too expensive nowadays. Have you seen the prices? <laughs> There, I mean, no? there's not, no, there's not as many. I'm telling you, the Florida's down. I saw it on the uh, news last night. It's, a, it's, it's, it's Florida's down with the oranges. It is. It's, 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 it's there very is expensive. A, there's a weird cold snap in yes, Florida. It's yes. almost 40 degrees I'm telling down you, there. Instead of 200 million crates, they're only developing 40 million. It's absolutely the truth. Go look at the prices of orange juice right now. We are your home for orange juice inflation yes, and, well, and Diet Coke okay. bad takes. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> let, let's say a listener trades commodities. Orange orange juice is a commodity. It's a stock, or a, I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. And if you're an orange juice company liking to sponsor the show, we take that all back, and you can come in and sponsor our show. By premium orange juice. Yes. The first bite. The first bite is today brought to you oh. by McDonald's. Oh, because that's what Tyler is eating. Did the Golden Knights get a moral victory last night? That snatched a point from death. Snatched a point from death. I don't know if it's a moral victory, but uh, boy, way to come back and get a point, guys. That's exactly what, what do you mean. You're giving them a round of applause for losing. Yeah, That's exactly nah, what a moral on, victory come on, is. Come on. The a NHL point they shouldn't have okay, one. We talk about victories all the time on this show yeah. because there's a football program and a college basketball team and an NFL team that has thrived off not being actual contenders for anything, but just patting themselves on the back when they do something that's not terrible. The NHL actually has moral victories built into their standings. I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. Like, you get a point for losing, for losing. in overtime. Like, that's a moral victory. And the NHL gives yeah. you a, a point for it. They give you a positive thing in the standings for being a good loser. And they actually promote it. Last night, um, last night on the broadcast, when the game, or it was, no, it was in three, it was three on three, but the broadcast actually said, well, they got a point. And the game wasn't over. They're, right. do, they're doing their three on three. It's like, well, they stole a point. It's like, not okay, a, but they haven't won the game. Not a single person was mad about them losing no, an overtime. They stole last a point. Night. No, you, if you watch the post game afterwards, yeah, they, they weren't upset. They showed Pete DeBoer on the bench right before overtime started. He was laughing. Yeah, like he, he was, was smiling he was and smiling. laughing because, like the Raiders, job's done. They got a point. <laughs> the job was done. Like it's it's amazing that we have a moral victory built into the standings. It's kind of funny and. I mean, listen, the, the reasoning behind it, I guess, is fair. Like, Carolina's really good. The Golden Knights are still not healthy. Yeah, they're putting out a light. I assume he was it laughing. It was better. Was Mark like... Stone was there yesterday and was yeah. terrible. Uh, but, like, the Golden Knights are not 100% healthy or close <laughs> to it. And so, yeah, you're on the road and you got a point. Good job, guys, even though you still lost. And at some point, you have to actually win games to win the Stanley Cup. You can't just moral victory your way to playoff wins. So... I don't know. It's just funny. Here's another question for you about the job being done. They've got these four tough games in a row on the road this week. They've already got three points 
This is already a successful road trip. If they lose the next two in regulation, are they coming home thinking, eh, that was fine? No. One wow. more point. One more point. One more they, need, they needed four one, of the eight. They need one more moral they need, victory. They need another overtime loss to make it four <laughs> out of eight points. I mean, yeah. I think you, I think when they started the road trip, I think both of you, both of us, excuse me, both of us said they'd probably win two right. of the four. So that's four points. They're not there yet, so it's not successful. Okay. So if they get a win, they'll have five oh, points. Oh, then it's a huge, it's wow. huge, very successful road yeah. trip if they get a win. What if they get a win and another overtime loss? Then put them in the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> I mean, I heard from I heard from many people in the media that many this was people. the gauntlet, man. This road trip, I mean, can you imagine? Even Pete DeBoer said, you know, going into those four buildings, it's absolutely brutal to go into those four mean, uh, buildings at a, at, on the same week. Moral victory. Job's not done yet, though. They need one more point. They need one they need more point. One more moral victory yes, on this road trip. To make they it can, successful. They can lose three of the four, but as long as they get sure. two of them in overtime, sure. it's a moral victory. All right. Here's some hot takes for you. The Golden Knights need to trade Laurent Brossois. <laughs> um, there it is. Yeah, they need there to trade him. So he played last night, second night of a back-to-back. He gave up four goals on 30 shots. The expected goals for Carolina was 3.99. So he gave up right on the average, what an average goalie would be expected to give up. But for the season, Laurent Brossois has been very much below average. Uh, he has played 15 games over 700 minutes this year. Of the top 59 goalies by minutes played this year, he's 49th of 59 in save percentage and 45th of 59 in goals saved above average. So I'll ask you this. What value does Laurent Brossois have to the Golden Knights? More than Logan Thompson? What value? If you I were mean, saying what, what, why I is mean, he valuable to this organization? Well, you what's need the someone argument? to back up Leonard. I don't know if he's that valuable given all the numbers you just gave, but you have to have someone <laughs> on the bench to back the guy up. I so mean, and he's Leonard, valuable because he's a warm body. Yeah. I mean, okay. you need, you need one. Well, Logan Thompson can be a can warm learn, body, Logan too. Thompson. Logan Thompson, you know Logan Thompson's actually on the trip? He's on the taxi squad, so yeah. Okay, yeah he's, he's on one the of, trip. what, I think they have three guys on the taxi squad, yeah. See up in the press box saying, uh, I could do that. Probably. So, here's why I ask what value Laurent Brassois has, because does, does he really allow them to rest Robin Leonard very much? Not really. I mean, they didn't play Robin Leonard on the second night of a back-to-back, back to back. so good job. But, like, it's not like they're giving Laurent Brassois starts other than to give Robin Leonard rest when they've got to play a bunch of games in a row, right? So it's not like he's saving Robin Leonard's uh, workload for the playoffs. The other reason that you could possibly have wanted Laurent Brossois was as an insurance policy, right? If you're comparing him to Logan Thompson, let's say the Golden Knights get to the playoffs and Robin Leonard gets hurt or something, throwing Logan Thompson in there is not ideal. You're throwing a guy who's pretty much been an AHL-only type goalie into the postseason. That's not great, but Laurent Brossois is not exactly good. Like he's been better than this in his career, but he's not exactly a good goalie. And okay, let me ask you, let me phrase it this way to you. Golden Knights in the Western conference final game one, Robin Leonard gets hurt. Do you feel confident they can still win a playoff series with Laurent Brossois having to play the rest of a series? No, and I don't, but I don't feel confident they'd win anything with Logan Thompson either, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, and that, I, but that's I the point. Feel confident with yeah. I mean, but I that's the point. Uh, is neither one either. of them give you confidence? So, one of them cost you three point two million dollars. One of them cost you eight hundred thousand dollars. Which one would you rather have? The cheaper well, one, especially it's the same. you want the cheaper one, especially when you're an organization that we've spent the last three months talking about who's getting traded to make room for Jack Eichel. 
Laurent Brassois should be a part of that equation. Okay, so how many do you think, give me the percentages, do you think that you can answer with an affirmative that if the starting goalie got hurt in the first game of the playoffs that they could win a playoff series? Not many. Across the league. Yeah, not many. Right. So why did the Golden Knights in the offseason go out and give Laurent well, Brassois $2.3 million? Because I think he ha- he was better in his career before now, and he's just not playing right now. Not really, though. He's a career backup. He's never been anywhere okay. close to a starter. He's a guy that plays you know 10 to 20 games a year and has like a 904 save percentage. The only person they had in their organization was Logan Thompson. Should have given yeah. him a shot. Like, as an organization. I think they were worried about that. I don't know if they thought he was ready. Laurent Brassois not ready. Well, he was. I mean. He had played before, the, though. He played not, in the league. Not well, like Laurent Brassois wasn't good. He was just a guy Again, who has been a backup for a while. I just don't know how many backups are good. Well, yes, that's the point. So why are you spending $2.3 million on a position that's I not going to be any good? I think trying to think in their thoughts, their thought process, and that's dangerous. They just thought that Logan Thompson wasn't near ready and they needed, uh, I, I mean, you, is it a veteran presence or a person who had already played in the league and, whether he played well or not, he was only going to be a backup anyway. I'm trying to think how they thought, and I understand what you're saying about the money. And maybe now, maybe now he's been so bad they're going to rethink the uh, they're going to rethink the formula and move on from him. I don't know who's taking him at that price for his career. Laurent Brassois minus thirteen point three goals saved above average. He's a below average goalie mm-hmm. in the NHL, and that's you know that includes what he did before he came here, where he was a negative. So. The idea that, oh, we're going to give him $2.3 million because he's going to provide some stability to the backup position was foolish, right? I yeah. When it happened at the time, my main argument against it being dumb was, okay, you got rid of Marc-Andre Fleury, who cost you $7 million against the cap, but now you've signed Laurent Brossois and you're giving him $2.3 million. Leonard's making five. He's making two point three. You're still spending $7 million right goaltending and you only have one good goalie like it was it was a dumb signing to begin with because again this team is not a team that has a bunch of cap space if they had a bunch of cap space whatever 2.3 million dollars doesn't matter but when they're when we're talking about how are they going to figure out how to fit jack eichel in well but at the time they signed him they knew nothing about jack eichel well i mean they they, didn't they were still they were up against jack the cap eichel. already they might have been up the cap they there's were, no way they thought they were they're up against jack the cap eichel. without jack eichel no, exactly. they did not as, not as much obviously well they'd be right at it they're oh they're over the cap with Jack Eichel. Yes, if this team's exactly. healthy, they're like ten million. They're over way the cap. over it. Right. So they were up against the cap when they signed him, but it was just it was a dumb signing because this team's when they traded Flurry, right? This team's path to winning the Stanley Cup was Robin Leonard being healthy and, and Robin Leonard being good. Yeah, there was nothing else that was going to change that. There's no backup goalie that they were going to bring in outside of some random shot in the dark that, uh oh, that guy had a breakout season, right? You'd be banking on a guy having a breakout season, which is dumb to do. The only way they win the Stanley Cup is if Robin Leonard's good. And for some reason, they decided to spend $2.3 million on their backup instead of $800,000 on their backup. So who's taking this guy on a 2.3 if you want to? Well, you might have to give up an asset to get rid of him, which the Golden Knights have done a good job of giving bad players big contracts in the past. So they've done that before. But. I don't know that there's an easy answer, and maybe he's a part of a trade or something, but I think that's got to be part of the answer to trading away or making room for Jack for Eichel. For Jack Eichel? Because he's the, he is the least valuable player that's like on the NHL roster. He's the least valuable player on this team. He doesn't provide you any playoff hope, right, if he's got to play there. he doesn't. He's not been good enough that, hey, we can stick him in there and 
uh, we can steal a win here and there because he plays well. He's the least valuable player. So you take on the Logan roster. Thompson just because he makes less money because he doesn't absolutely provide, he doesn't provide. I don't. Play I player. don't expect Logan Thompson to be good either. No, but he makes less money than Laurent Brassois, and you've got to find money somewhere. That, that's the whole thing. You've got to find. If they didn't have to find cap space, then whatever. Laurent Brassois can be your backup, and it's fine. But because they're going to have to find like what seven to ten million dollars in cap space, depending on who's healthy when Jack Eichel comes back. That's got to me. That's got to be one of the answers. Like seriously, we're talking about Riley Smith. Should they trade away Riley Smith, who's one of the six best forwards on the team? That guy clearly has value to this team, winning the Stanley Cup. Meanwhile, Laurent Brossois has not. Now, the problem there, Brossois himself doesn't make enough room, so you've got to do. No, something No, you got to move else. someone else. It's only two point three. That should be part of the equation to me, just because mm-hmm. he's got no value. There's not your hot good. take for the day. Well, no, you'll have more, but I mean, that's your big. There's your Golden Knights hot take for the day. I just want to point out that I know of a goalie that only makes eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> as a cap. That's his. I'm sorry, he actually makes nine hundred and fifty, but his cap hit is only eight hundred and fifty thousand. Malcolm Subban. I knew where he was going with that. Can they get Cody Eakin in that trade too? You think you think the Sabres are going to be like, and you have to take him? Wait, if the Sabres have to take Laurent Brossois, the Golden Knights probably have to, have to take Cody Eakin back. It's kind of fair trade. Coming up next, some more hot takes, this time on the Raiders. The Raiders are now interviewing Todd Bowles, the Buccaneers' defensive coordinator. And as you heard just there, that was Bruce Arians talking about the Final catch Cooper Cup made to get the Rams in field goal position to kick the game winner in which they wanted to send a blitz, but somehow didn't communicate that to all of their players. Uh, Bowles has been the defensive coordinator for the Bucks the last three seasons. He was a head coach with the Jets, 24 and 40, zero playoff appearances, one winning season when he was the Jets head coach. So. What do you make of Todd Bowles? Well, am I missing something? Because I don't think they've interviewed McDaniels yet. But everyone that's leaked out, and believe me, I know this for a fact, we don't know everyone they've interviewed. There's no chance we know everyone they've interviewed. But it's been heavy defensive coaches. And that, to me, is a little strange. I don't know why. And like I said, I don't know. For all they've interviewed, they, for all I know, they've interviewed three other you know, offensive coaches. But it, does, it seems like these interviews so far have been heavy defensively. Gerard Mayo, Patriots defensive yeah. uh, linebacker Linebacker coach. coach. Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles, Bucks D coordinator, and D'Amico Ryans, the 49ers D coordinator, yeah. plus Rich Passaccia, the interim, who's obviously getting interviewed. But yes, the of the interviews that we know, the three guys that are not Rich Passaccia are all defensive-minded defensive guys. I, I would say, okay, let me let me read you this from The Athletic, because The Athletic a couple weeks ago kind of put together a, hey, you're hiring a new head coach. Here's sort of a checklist of things you should be looking for. And on that checklist was, hey, uh, offense is more important than defense. Among the 20 teams that have made it to conference championships over the past five years, 19 finished in the top 10 in offensive DVOA and 14 finished in the top five. Over that same period, six of the 20 teams finished in the top 10 of defensive DVOA and five in the top five. There is a much higher correlation to success in the NFL when your offense is good than when your defense is good. Yeah. So it's not that you have to hire an offensive minded head coach, but if you hire a defensive minded head coach, he's got to bring in a good coordinator. There's got to be a good offensive coordinator that's coming along because that's, what's going to be the key to your team winning your team, having a chance to win a Super Bowl. your team making the playoffs is your offensive success. That's the best way to do it. So I would still say this. 
like you said, we don't actually no, know we don't if this know. is we everybody there's, they've interviewed. No. If we, if at the end of the day, the Raiders interview eight people and they're all defensive guys and they hire a defensive guy, then I think we can kind of be a little bit critical of that process. For now, I'm a little hesitant to be critical simply because we don't know everything. And is he hiring a general manager first? Well, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the other thing. We don't know who he's going to go with first. And if he doesn't, it's just, it's going to be surprise me on the GM second when he hands the GM a coach. Right. You go back to, okay, here's a head coach, and that's what Gruden was. And Gruden had all, Reggie McKenzie was already in place. But you go back and say, well, you know, Gruden had all the power, and he's going to make the personnel decisions. If I'm a, if I'm a GM, I might still take the job if I'm an assistant GM somewhere else, and I just want to, I want to be a general manager someplace. But you're handing the guy a head coach, and it still is surprising to me he's going to go that way. I thought for sure. Um, and then again, I talked to Lincoln Kennedy yesterday for a story, and he said, look, he goes, if you if you interview someone, whether it's a head coach or general manager, let's say the guy comes in and just knocks your socks off, just like, okay, we, there's no way I can let this guy out of the room. He goes, then go ahead and hire him. But the – as we all know, the normal way to do this is to hire your GM first and then have him have some kind of say in who the head coach is. Now, maybe Mark, I think Mark Davis has to have the final approval, but I'm just surprised that we've heard more more juice on the coaches than the GMs in terms of who they're interviewing. Do you think they're falling behind here? Because On which one? On both? All of it. So there were multiple general manager openings this offseason. There is now one general manager opening yeah. in the NFL, and it's the Raiders because the Bears are, they've hired Ryan uh, Poles. The Vikings are expected to announce Kwesi Adolfo Mensa as their new general manager today. The Giants hired their GM away from the Buffalo Bills. Like all the other teams that had GM openings no longer have GM openings because they went and hired a new general manager. Meanwhile, Mark Davis has interviewed some GM candidates, has interviewed from head coaching candidates, but hasn't hired anybody. And I'll say this again. This is still, again, like from the outside, we obviously don't have the complete picture. Does it seem like Mark Davis doesn't really have a great plan in place? I'm not going to, like you said, I'm not going to criticize him yet because I, I don't I don't know what his plan is. And again, for all we know, he's interviewed a lot more people. These things kind of leak out to national people after it's said and done or right before. So I, I cannot believe that they haven't interviewed more people for both jobs. I just, I don't believe that. I, I, I think he's interviewed more people and whatever gets to Schefter or whoever breaks these things, you know, you know, to see who who's, who's interviewing. I don't think they get all of them and they just put out the ones that they know. So I, I I'm going to let the process play out before I say that he didn't know what he was doing. So well, here's the reason I asked, like, what's the plan here? Because he has interviewed multiple guys for the GM spot, right? They're going to interview Dwayne Joseph, who was who actually works for the Raiders. He's in the scouting department. But they've interviewed okay. a few guys for the GM spot, and they've also interviewed guys for the head coaching spot. Like, it, it doesn't seem like there's a clear, hey, we're going to hire a GM, and then this guy's going to help us run, or is basically going to run the coaching search. And it doesn't seem like, hey, Mark Davis loves this coaching candidate. He's going to hire him and then get a GM who's just going to have to work with whoever had, like, the pl- it, it, again, from the outside, the plan doesn't appear to be in place. It's just well, sort of, well, I've got two job openings. I'm just going to interview yeah. a bunch of guys for both. I'm not. I'm not. I, I can't go there. I, I don't know him well enough, and I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. What about with the guy you just said? Maybe he's not. Is he not interviewing a ton of GM people because he's going to stay inside with Dwayne Joseph? Yeah, 
Possibly. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you hire Dwayne Joseph, who's been a part of the organization, and then he's already been involved in some of the coaching search, that might make this make a little bit more sense, right. I guess. Um, I don't know how much you want the guy who was a part of the scouting staff that were blaming Mike Mayock and John Gruden for drafting poorly or signing poorly in the free agency. Like, that's part well, of the reason why Mike Mayock's not here anymore. Just like Mike Mayock blamed Gruden. Yeah. Dwayne I mean, will blame Gruden as well. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, I didn't have anything to do with this. I, I, I wanted Ed Oliver. <laughs> I think he was, uh, Dwayne Joseph was the uh, pro, was on the pro scouting side. So for he free agents. He would have been more in charge of free, or free agents. More to blame for free agent signings. Maybe he's saying, look, Casey Hayward, yeah, guy, I, I signed him. <laughs> that was all me. Denzel Perryman, absolutely. Everybody else, nope, wasn't me. Wasn't a part of that. So it's just... The Raiders, from the outside looking in, A, appear to have fallen behind, B, appear to be prioritizing the wrong side of the ball, and C, don't seem to have a great plan in place as to who they're going to hire, when they're going to hire them, and what the process is for hiring both positions. It just seems like it's just sort of scattershot. I mean, is it, is that, I mean, of course it's on us because we do a radio show and have opinions, but is it on us to judge whether they're doing this the wrong way? We don't know who they're going to hire. We, we, they could hire a GM today and say, whoa, man, th- that guy might have been last, but he hit out of the park with him. Right, and that, that's the thing. It doesn't – just because you hire the general manager last among in the other teams that hiring GMs, that doesn't mean your general manager hires back. No, it might, be in a, it might end up being the best of right. the lot. It could, absolutely. But it just seems weird when – especially because the Raiders had a head start on everybody when it came to their head coaching opening, that they're the ones that look like they're sitting around being like, ah, we don't know what we don't know what we want. We don't know what we want to prioritize here. So, it's it's strange to me. It is a strange situation where we don't really know what the Raiders are doing. And listen, Mike Mark Davis hasn't talked. Like it's not like Mark Davis has given no. updates so to clarify anything. So, this process might finish out and we might get a lot more details and be like, "Okay, that makes a lot more sense." But from what we know now, it doesn't appear like there's a lot of sense as to what ex- exactly how the Raiders are going about both of these searches. But we're also going just on reports from right. national guys right. who, you know, they know some things, but I don't think they know everything. They don't, which is fine. But, you know, when we're sitting here and it's February 8th and they don't have a GM still, <laughs> we might have a problem. Coming up next, Mike Gravala joins the show. You know, I had a chance to talk with Sean afterwards, and, you know, that's, I'm sure, something that, they're, they're going to look at it again, too. And I I, mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I, I just, that's a hard thing. I mean, one team, it was great for us last night, but is it great for the game, which is the most important thing that we shall all be looking out for. So to make things equal, it probably needs to be able to uh, hit both, uh, both offenses, both defenses. So. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now is Mike Gramala from the Las Vegas Sun. Mike, uh, we have learned that you have some really bad takes on sports. So do you have a bad take on NFL's overtime rules? I liked it the way it was before they before they changed it. I liked the, the original sudden death. Just kick a field goal and whoever scores first wins. Um I didn't. I don't. I don't really like the college football when they had the, you know, the basically the extra innings where both teams get a shot from the twenty-five. I didn't like that. Um, I. It seems so simple. Like if you're going, do whatever you want in the regular season, but in the playoffs, just play uh, an extra period. Just put fifteen minutes on the clock and just play till there's no time left. Isn't that the easiest? 
That's the easiest way to do it. Yes, I 100% agree. You have a good take. That was not any fun. All right. How did uh, San Diego State make UNLV look like uh, San Jose State? They pushed them around. Uh, <laughs> you know, they had that, that the first meeting uh, when they played here a few weeks ago. You know, they, San Diego State really beat them up on, on the offensive glass and really had a physical edge. But UNLV was, you know, able to hang around and able to make enough plays and, and run their offense enough to, to stay in it some, somewhat. Um, that wasn't the case uh, the other night. That was just San Diego State coming out. You know, they were clearly uh, on edge. They had just lost the game to Boise State at home, uh, and they lost in sort of embarrassing fashion. They only scored 37 points. And they, they took it out on UNLV. They came out. They played with attitude. They played with edge. It was chippy. They were jawing. They were pushing. They were shoving. And uh, UNLV just wasn't ready for it. They they just they came out flat and they just got run over and that that was it. It was over pretty quick. You can see pretty early in the game that it wasn't going to be competitive and that was it. Wasn't this the team though built to play with San Diego State? Like that's all I hear in the preseason. They're longer. They're more athletic. Uh, that's the team that San Diego State always wins with. I mean, you know, I don't know if specifically he recruited to that. But that's all I heard in two games now. I'm like, that team's not San Diego State, and I don't know if he really recruited that. Like, that was supposedly the team this was going to be. You're right. You're right. That was what that was what sort of the, the blueprint was. Now, I mean, in, in Kevin Kruger's defense, it's it's hard to build a San Diego State-type team in one offseason. So I'm, I'm, but still, the, the, the fact that they just didn't really fight, you know, there was, there was the only player who... I felt stood up to San Diego State was Keyshawn Gilbert, who is a true freshman, who is, if he's the only guy that's fighting back, um, that's a problem in terms of just attitude and the, the, the mentality around the team. So, I mean, physically, I think that they, you know, it's a roster that can play that, that kind of tough basketball. Um, but for some reason, it just wasn't there. And I, I was asked, I asked after the game, and, you know, Bryce Hamilton, was uh, I thought gave a pretty honest answer. He said, "Like we're just tired. You know, we just played a lot of games and in the past week came out and we were flat and you know we we didn't want to, but we we tried, but we just we were too tired to to to, uh, to match their intensity." Is basically what he said. So I think they can do it, um, but for some reason, the circumstances or whatever it was, they they just didn't have it that night. And uh, San Diego State definitely had it. They played their best game. UNLV probably played their worst game, and you saw how that ended up on the scoreboard. Does Keyshawn Gilbert overtake Jordan McCabe for the starting point guard spot any time this year? You know, if I were coaching the team, I would. That would be my goal by the end of the year. Like by, I would want to develop Keyshawn Gilbert to the point where, by the time March comes around, he's a starting point guard, and he's going to turn the ball over. Um, there's going to be games where he picks up quick fouls and you're going to have to deal with foul trouble with him. But I just, I, he gives you so much more at point guard, uh, than any of the other options. I would, I would make that one of my main goals by the end of the year, have him ready to be the starting point guard, go into the mountain West tournament with him playing, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a game. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm not really seeing it from any of the other guys and Gilbert at least has the upside. Who should we be most disappointed with? You know, uh, I don't, not to, to pile on someone, I, point, they're not getting anything out of point guard. Because there's nothing, they're not getting any production from that spot unless Gilbert is in the game and, you know, making plays here and there. Uh, McCabe, you know, he's 
he's steady. I, I think he runs the offense the way they want, but he doesn't really he doesn't shoot. He's he's not willing to shoot the ball. Um, he doesn't give you a lot offensively. He's not really a playmaker defensively. Whereas Gilbert, once or twice a game, he's pretty much you you know he's going to make a play on defense. He's going to force a turnover. He's going to grab a, a good rebound. He's going to do something that sort of sparks you. Um, I'd say point guard is the the one spot that really hasn't given them much this year. 0-8 against teams in the Ken Palm Top 100. They have seven more games against teams in the Top 100. How many do they win? Uh, wait, how many? Do they have eight left or seven left? Seven, I would left. Say they, seven left. I'll give them one more misstep. So we'll, let's say six and one. No, no, no. Wait, wait. I think you oh, went the wrong oh, way. No, on. no. Inside, inside the Top 100. Inside. I'm saying, oh, good, yes. oh, they're they're uh, zero eight, and they got seven sw- against switch good that teams. number around. Yeah, flip me around. I'll give them one and six because they got to get one. They're going to beat one good team this year. It's the you can't go in and because they're not a bad team. Like I wouldn't say this UNLV team is a bad a, a bad group. You're not going to go the entire season and not win a single significant <laughs> significant game, right? I agree with you, but we've. We're at eight, and there's seven left. Like we're at the halfway point. They haven't done it yet. I agree with you. Like probability implies. They're going to get one, probably actually two of the seven that are left, but we haven't seen it. And they're starting to get to a point where they might get blown out more often than they're actually close in some of these games. Yeah. Well, Colorado state coming up, there's a, a chance they've they're, they'll be rested. So they won't, you know, they won't be as exhausted <laughs> as they were against the San Diego state. So maybe that's the one. Everyone's tired. Everyone's got these COVID pauses and coming back and playing two uh, out of oh, three, three out of five. That, that, that's <laughs> that's everyone. Um, we asked this question yesterday. Uh, right now, as you sit here, and you, we just said zero and eight against the uh, inside the top hundred. What would be a successful season for you for Kevin Kruger? I think you finish above five hundred overall. You, you get to five hundred in Mountain West play. You give you know some sort of momentum building. You know, victory. If you can take a game off Colorado State on the road, or if you can um, upset someone in the Mountain West tournament, and just you know prove that things are, are going in the right direction. Um, you know, it's it's not been a bad year. Like all things considered, I do think that they're they're playing you know at an acceptable rate. Um, I like that Donovan Williams appears to have uh, taken a leap. He looks like he's going to be a building block um, going forward. So that's you know not uh, results based, but that's something that you know. Um, you factor in, um, yeah, I think that those are pretty much the, the big things like you're, they're competitive. If they can win a, a couple inspiring games and they've given the fans like, Hey, look, here's this player to, to build around for next year. So that that's, I think what they can hang their hats on. Mike Romala with us from the Las Vegas sun. All right. I'm going to try this again with a different topic. Uh, okay. you and your bad opinions. Do you have any terrible opinions on the hall of fame? I mean, that's, I'm a small hall guy. Like, I don't think anyone should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but <laughs> I, I do I do like when, I think it's people, it's a very, so the, the voting block is, some people take it very, very seriously. And you see it's like a solemn, sacred thing. Like, we have to do this. And the, the, some people, you know, they post their ballots and they talk about how much it meant to them and how much work they put into it. And this is, you know, they're trying to get it right. And then they vote. And then, you know, a couple of years later, the there's some committee that just, oh, no, Harold Baines is in. Like, it doesn't really matter how anyone voted or what happened on the field. Like, we just, Harold Baines should be in there. So, like, what are we doing? Like, who who really cares in the end if, 
you know, Barry Bonds will get in. Roger Clemens will get it. Like, you know, Harold Baines is in this Hall of Fame, so why are we arguing about this? So you're, you're confident Barry Bonds is going to get into the Hall of Fame? At some point, Barry Bonds will be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Yes. Are you for or against the writers having a say in this? It seems like you're against it. I think it's fine. Like, I like the way that it works. I like that there are, you know, oh, there's a block of voters who are old-fashioned and traditional. I like that there's a block that are, you know, analytically based, and they only look at the numbers to determine whether your candidacy. I like that to be a Hall of Famer. You have to build a broad coalition of voters, and you have to be a consensus great player, uh, a historical player. I, I think it works fine. Uh, I think I guess that would be my, my overall take. I don't know if you think that's a bad take or not, but I have no problem with Hall of Fame voting. I, <laughs> I think mean, they pretty much get it right. That is a pretty hot take today, given that literally everybody on the face of the earth is mad at Hall of Fame voting, and Mike Ramal is like, eh, hey, it's fine. <laughs> eh, it's no big deal. Barry Bonds will be in eventually. All right. Yeah, I, I can live without Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame for a couple of years. Oh, I can't sleep at night. It's keeping me up. It's bothering <laughs> me. Yeah. Well, he is Mike Ramal. Wait, let me ask you this. You went to San Diego... Uh, did you eat anything fun? I did, man. That was a one. It was a, a one day trip for me. I drove in, I watched the game, and then I drove back. What, so, what did no. you eat? Did you eat like at the stadium, at the arena? No, I got a. Um, actually, went off the beaten path. I got a bag of goldfish. Do you know what goldfish are? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we know that. Cheese it's but in fish form. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I got that on the way out there, and that's what I had. I had oh, that, man. and then oh, and that at the arena, um, I had a they have a giant cookie at the concession stand that I got. Very important. Very and then okay. I drove back. You drove back that night? I did. Oh, it's a long day. It's more a long day. more yeah. disappointing uh, home attendance, San Diego State or UNLV? San Diego State was surprising. I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not paying attention to their attendance numbers every night. So um, UNLV, you kind of have, you know what it is at this point. San Diego State, I was surprised that uh, they were about half full. And like every time I've been to that arena, it's always been great atmosphere um student section is uh going all out so it was it was weird to be in that arena and have a crowd that really wasn't making noise it was kind of like a you know a regular like a unlv type game where the atmosphere you're trying you're trying to make something happen but it wasn't happening so i don't know what's going on in san diego state but they've got that booster mandate in yeah i mean maybe that's it maybe that's the but yeah it was it was definitely weird um, there's only a couple times in the game where the crowd even became, uh, let themselves be known. So yeah, that was probably the, the big thing. All right. He's Mike Carvalho from the Las Vegas sun full of old man takes. Thanks Mike. Thanks Mike. Thanks. Coming up next. We'll give you some old man takes on the hall of fame. Victory four to three. There were a ton of people tuning in, rooting against us for one reason and one reason only it's because of, you know, my vaccination status and them wanting to see us lose so they could pile on and, and enjoy and revel in the fact that, uh, you know, my vaccination status was, you know, some sort of reason why we haven't had success in the playoffs or whatever it might be, some sort of correlation. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. I don't think so. Cole Beasley exists. Yeah, I don't think so. I think they don't like him because of the one seed, and he's kind of a weird dude, and... I never thought for a second, although I wanted to win because I don't want to see any more Niners. So I was hoping Aaron Rodgers win because I'd like to see the best quarterbacks in the World Super Bowl. I never for a second thought, oh, I don't want him to win because of his vaccination status. Like, I never even, that crossed my mind. I think he's like, maybe he's right, 
He's but I, I don't think he is. Not I don't think anyone thought about that. Because he, he's been a moron. Yeah. He, he needs to focus on getting immunized against the 49ers. That's what he needs to focus on. Go to the AFC. All right. <laughs> Do you think David Ortiz should be, have been the only player selected into the Hall of Fame yesterday? Give us some Hall of Fame hot takes. No, I don't. I'm going to give you a hot take that I absolutely loved here. And this is why, as a writer, I, I totally agree with this and think this should be Everyone, as a writer, the position they take. And this is from John Canzano, the great columnist from Oregon. I had both players on my uh, baseball writer association about me and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. It is not my job to retroactively police the game. And I, if I'm a writer I th- and I'm voting, which I don't have a vote for this, and I'm glad I don't, that is my point. If you go back and start taking out everyone who used amphetamines or had the scandal with the Black Sox or were accused of sexual assault, you could go through that Hall of Fame and find every one of those, and you take them out, there'd be like half Hall of Fame you know, members that there are now. I would have voted for all those guys because I would have just looked at their numbers. I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I would have. I don't, I'm not going to, like John said, retroactively go back and I, because I'm a writer and I've been in, you, you have to be in the Baseball Writers Association for 10 years to earn a vote, and because I've covered baseball forever, I feel that I need to be judge, jury, and executioner in terms of who goes in and who doesn't. So, right. no, I would, I'd vote for all those guys. And we talked about Bob Nightingale's ballot yesterday. He's the I one did, that voted only for Jeff Kent? Well, no, he's the one who voted for all the steroid uh, guys oh, except, except for Alex A-Rod. Rodriguez, yeah. which is like, <laughs> did that make any sense to you? Well, like, it, I mean, it makes A- as much sense as people electing David Ortiz and not Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. I mean, which neither makes sense. Right. None of that makes sense no. at all. Like if you if you think David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer, you have to think Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds is a Hall, Bonds, of Famer. a Hall of Famer. Exactly. Barry right. Bonds is like the greatest hitter the sport has yeah. ever seen. And sure, was there steroids involved? Okay, but like you can't vote other people in from that era with the same suspension suspicion yeah. as Barry Bonds. Like you just you just Brady can't do Anderson that. weighed 150 pounds. One year he had 10 home runs. The next year he had 60. Because he weighed 160 pounds and his hat size didn't increase, what he might was, not have done anything. What was that uh, story from San Diego about Ken Caminetti eating a chocolate bar or something? Snickers. Snickers. Snickers bar <laughs> before each game. Yeah, Ken Caminetti. That's what it was. Yeah, it was Snickers bar. <laughs> One of my favorite stories is uh, Pud Galvin, who is already in the Hall of Fame. He played in 1889, but during his last couple years in the majors... He was like, I'm drinking a cocktail that is has infused monkey testicles in it to get me more testosterone. And they're like, that guy needs to go in the Hall yeah, of Fame. And he should. That's very ingenious. <laughs> I mean, Ortiz was on lists like all of them. And Manfred came out and he said, well, he never tested positive in our testing protocols. So Ortiz goes in and these other guys don't, even though he was on all, he was on all the same lists. It's preposterous. And he did. There was a test where he tested positive yeah. at one point now the validity validity of that has been called into question and apparently those lists were never meant to be made public but no they were there is a but he positive david ortiz steroid test here's the one that i find to be the funniest tony la russa tony la russa is in the hall of fame mm-hmm. tony la russa's like first claim to fame was the oakland days with mcguire <laughs> yeah. and Kinseko. Like Tony the Russo's team, the like the first thing that made Tony the Russo like, oh, that guy's a good manager, was a team full of steroids. But we're putting the manager of those teams in 
but not the players, not the players. of those types of teams. And plus, beyond that, Tony La Russa, there was a former player of his said, hey, we used to steal signs just like the Astros did. Like, so Tony La Russa electronically stealing signs, players full of steroids, plus uh, not a good guy driving drunk, right? Like, yeah. If we're if you're being like the morality police more than once, right? If you're the morality police, why is Tony Larusa yeah. in the Hall of Fame? Based on on-field results, Tony Larusa should be in the Hall of Fame. His I should McGuire, I should Sosa, I should but Rodriguez, exactly. I should for sure, yeah. I should Clements. I it's should. but it's a matter of I don't know people that have a vote like Tony Larusa or they like yeah. David Ortiz. Meanwhile, they think Barry Bonds is a meanie. It's the arrogance of voters. It really is. It's the arrogance of these writers who give the nonsense of this purest angle where they know half the people in the Hall of Fame, if you're if you're voting on morality, shouldn't even be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and and some guy in 2022 is going to decide whether Barry Bonds deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I think it's preposterous. I think it's preposterous they vote on it. Could you put Barry Bonds pre-steroids in the Hall of Fame? Oh, absolutely. Then that's your, like, just, that's yeah, your answer. Absolutely. Literally just... Say like people, until 2001. To, well, it's a Hall great of point. Famer. It's a great point that people forget how good he was in Pittsburgh before. He's amazing. He's the greatest hitter ever. Oh yeah, he's he hands down. He had two Hall of Fame careers. Yes, yeah. yes, he's hands down the best player yes. in the history of the sport. Like he's not. He's like not number one in like wins above replacement all time, but he's the best player the sport's ever seen. Like it's it's unbelievable that you would say, yeah, we're not putting that guy in. Best player in the history of the sport. And he's not in the Hall of Fame? Come on. But David Ortiz is? Like, it would, if there was some consistency. Harold Baines be, is. Okay, yeah. Everybody's pilot on Harold Baines the last two well, days. Well, no, I'm not saying David Harold Roth Baines shouldn't be. I'm just saying, how is Harold Baines and a Barry Bonds not? <laughs> just like you said, other people. He's right? a nice guy. I don't know. Was he a nice guy? I don't know. <laughs>